So my husband and I are a blended family. We've been married for 30 years. This is my home core. In 1980, I stood up here with then Majors Noddle and became a soldier of the Salvation Army. I spent many hours throughout the years at the mercy seat, and I invite you to do the same thing. Um, God changed my life and did major surgery on me. Yes, I could pray on the pews, which used to be here. Um, but coming down just did something to my heart. I felt like I was kneeling at the cross when I did that. So um, my husband was commissioned as an officer in 1980, and I was in 1997. Uh, we together, as being married, 1990, we were um, envoys for seven years. So we've kind of been around the block a little bit. Um, let's see. You came to camp. You worked at camp in 1970 here. Yes, you did. With <laughs> Colonel Brigadier, no, Brigadier Sloan. Yes. Yes, he was his driver, so yes, if you know Brigadier Sloan and you had some sophomore, junior driving you around, they used to drive around this, this campus, this block, when it was still just houses and fields, and pray over it. Every day he said that he, um, he drove Brigadier Sloan around this and prayed over it. And then when we were here, when I was here, um, when the, the then Majors Noddle were here, we used to walk around this block and lay hands on some of the buildings, claiming them for God and the Salvation Army. And now look at it. It's wonderful. It is absolutely to see how God has worked. Our appointments have mostly been long, 10 years in Alaska, five years in Sacramento, eight years in Vancouver, um, five years at Las Vegas Citadel, and we've also been in Napa, California, and Mesa, Arizona. Something that we have noticed in those appointments, and as well as this appointment, is that God prepares our hearts before we get there. We are, we are loving and saying goodbye to those that we've loved on and still love for the time that we've been appointed to that appointment. But he's also kind of doing a change. As our love is still there, like our hearts are big enough to love more than one person, aren't they? Our hearts start loving here, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to experience as you move and just gain more and more into the kingdom of God. So that's a little bit about us. Oh, we also, we have five children and four grandchildren. It's his, mine, and almost ours. <laughs> yes, we have um, two older daughters, Sherilyn and Crystal. Sherilyn went to heaven. Um, when she was 23, Crystal lives with her husband and, and our oldest granddaughter in Alaska. And then we have Joshua, who is married, and they chose to have dogs instead of children. And then Janice, our youngest, lives up in Mount Lake Terrace, just above Seattle. And she has three of our four grandchildren. And then um, when we were in Las Vegas, we were privileged to inherit, um, excuse me, adopt, inherit, adopt um, our youngest son who then was 16 and he is in the, currently in the Coast Guard, married to a lo lovely lady and they are stationed in Hawaii. And maybe before they move, we can go see them. <laughs> that would be nice. Yes, yes. We have four grandchildren, Sarah who's 24, 
um, John Michael, who was 19, DJ, who went to heaven at 14, and then we have um, Annalise, Lisi, and she is 14. So um, God has richly blessed our life. Yes, she just turned 14. God has richly blessed our life, and we are excited to be here and excited to meet you. We've met most of you. Some of you we haven't had a chance to come by and greet yet, but we will in his name. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I, I apologize. I do read out of the New King James. If you would stand, please, for the reading of God's word. I'm not apologizing. I'm just stating. Forgive me. <laughs> and he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wanting, was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do that when I will put out the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the master's debts, debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 100 measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, 100 measures of wheat. So he said to him, take your bill, write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he, had, because he had dealt swiftly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in the generation than the sons of the light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. And, then you, and when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful and what is least is faithful also is much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust and trust riches? And if you have not been faithful, excuse me, my glasses, my, forgive me. And if you have not been faithful in what another's man's, who will give you what is, is yours to own? No servant can serve two masters. For either it will take it will no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all of these things, and they derided him. They turned their nose up at him, and he said to them, You are those who justly who justify yourselves before men. For God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is God's word, and we believe it. You may be seated. Mother preachers, and they say, you know what, I haven't preached on that one. It's kind of a, maybe a hidden meaning in this one, right? But we're going we're gonna to unravel it. I'm going to get my Bible out here. So Luke... 16, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15, and uh, we're going to continue our journey through the Bible. So as you know, the majors like to try to get through the Bible 
and we're taking it one book at a time. We're still in the book of Luke. Uh, we're looking at the parable of the shrewd manager. Now, there's about 40 parables that Jesus spoke, and uh, nobody else in the New Testament spoke in parables. Uh, as we know, they were designed to kind of hide the meaning from the unbelievers, which was typically the Pharisees, but reveal to the believers, those who have ears, right? So the parables were, in a sense, a judgment and a confirmation of rejection. At the same time, they were light to those who had ears to hear. So at the end of the day, they're only going to help believers because believers are the only ones that understood these. And this parable has to do with money. And that's not odd because about one in three parables has something to do with money. you got to know if something is repeated in the Bible over and over again, it's because Jesus really wants you to remember it, right? Same thing with your parents, right? If they told you something over and over again, it's because they really want to drill a point home, right? So after looking at this parable, I want you to know that there is a really close connection between worldly treasure and your heart. And knowing this, I want you to give your hearts fully to God. Let's look at the first part of this parable, and uh, we're going to look at our first point, which is we need to give intentionally. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 9. Uh, the, this, the first part of the parable is the story. The second part is kind of the analysis, the takeaway points. This parable is being told by Jesus um, to Jesus' disciples, but we know that the Pharisees are within earshot, and they usually are with these parables. We know that they're close by because verse 14 tells us the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Can you just imagine them over the corner? Sneering. We'll be coming back to the Pharisees later. So Jesus is teaching his disciples about money, worldly treasure, worldly wealth on the surface. In this parable, we have two bad actors. Usually you have the villain and the hero. But um, we have two bad actors in this, in this uh, parable. The rich man and the money manager. We know that this rich man is incredibly wealthy. How? Uh, he's got multiple businesses. Um, so much so that he needs a money manager. And we know he's so wealthy that he's, he's pretty disconnected. He's disconnected because he had to be made aware of his uh, money manager's shortcomings. He's not there meddling in the details. When the manager is asked to give an account, he asks himself, what shall I do now? That's kind of the inner dialogue. Um, he says, I'm too weak for manual labor, and I'm too proud to beg. You know, uh, So this is what's going on in his own head. So he devises a plan to win favor with the rich man's debtors. You see, the manager, he wasn't just losing his job here. It was customary in the time for a money manager to live on the estate of the person he worked for. So, he, had no he also had a place of prominence within the community. So, if you, you're, you're rubbing elbows with all the wealthy people in town, right? He was interacting with all the other wealthy business owners. So, he's about to lose his job. He's about to lose his house. He's also about to lose his honor and his status within the community. So, what does he do? He devises a plan to win favor with all the other wealthy business owners. And he's doing this to hope to secure a future home for himself. He's also setting up a, work, a network of blackmail uh, in that if he asks a favor of one in the future and is denied, he can kind of lord this over their heads, right? Uh, the amounts of money the manager is giving away are quite large. So 900 gallons of olive oil um, is the equivalent of three years' uh, wages. So think about your wages for three years. That's 900 gallons, right? He cuts that in half. Next, 1,000 bushels of wheat, that's the equivalent of 10 years' wages of a day laborer, okay? He knocks that off 
The debtors don't ask any questions, you know, if it's too good to be true, right? They don't ask any questions. They don't ask, you know, did your boss approve of this? You know, they just say, okay. And, you know, they quickly pay up. So the money manager is giving away his master's money in order to secure a future here and now for himself. So usually in a parable, there is a good guy and a bad guy, right? At this point, um, the rich man commends the manager for his shrewdness. So in the NIV, it's shrewdness instead of acting swiftly. There's, um, this is where most people start scratching their head. You would think that the, 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 the rich man is like, how dare you, you know? But instead, he's like, wow, that was pretty smart, you know? The rich man's impressed by the manager's shrewdness. He acted shrewdly. Let's just make sure we get that. So the root there for shrewdly is uh, phronimos, and it means to act providently, to act considerably. It was a well-devised scheme. He took careful advantage of an opportunity. He worked the situation to secure his future. Now there are many business owners in that community that are obligated to him. They're all concerned for their own honor because they knew that they were getting a deal they shouldn't, right? They're all concerned about reciprocation of somebody who does good for them. That was part of their social requirement in that culture. If you do me a favor, I got to do a favor for you. So in the future, he says, you remember what I did for you? Let me come work for you, right? So this point is direct. Sinful people act to secure their own future and benefit. And, and, and he's using very clever and ingenious ways. They use the resources they have with shrewdness, whether honest or dishonest, to secure the best future they can. So now Jesus adds his own commentary to this story. He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And I, I still see, it's like, I'm still scratching my head. I still don't get this one. Stay with me. So let's break this down a little bit. The people of the light. Who does that refer to? That's a reference to believers. That's people like you and I. People of the world are non-believers. So people of the light, believers of the world, non-believers. Jesus is saying that believers should be equally or in greater proportion shrewd in pursuing a spot in the afterlife and also securing a spot for non-believers, their friends in the afterlife, right? Jesus is not encouraging illegal behavior, nor is he condoning misconduct. He's saying, use the riches of the world. Use the wealth of the world to spread the gospel, to win over friends and souls, so that when that money runs out, which it will, the things of this world pass away, you and your friends will be welcome into heaven. So there's an old skit that kind of illustrates this point. And um, this man was walking down the street, and an armed robber approaches him. And he orders him, your money or your life? The man stops. He didn't do anything. And there's this long pause. The robber impatiently asks, well, what's it going to be? The man replies, don't rush me. I'm thinking about it. That's actually, it's also in the, um, the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. She's got this box of gold Wonka bars, right? And somebody had robbed her husband and holding him ransom. They said, we found your husband. Oh, what do they want? I'll give them anything. They want your box of Wonka bars. Ma'am, what are you going to do? Well, give me a minute to think about it, you know? So while this is comical, there's some truth behind this, right? We know that life on earth is temporary. We all in this room have experienced somebody that's passed on. 
yet we're so quick to forget just how temporary our stay on earth is. So we're going to look at a supporting scripture. When, we're, when we look at a, a scripture in the Bible, uh, we want to find another scripture that comes alongside and complements it and supports it, right? So we're not taking things out of context. So we're going to look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Um, let me just pull this up. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Okay. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It always comes down to a matter of the heart in these parables, right? We might be talking about money, we might be talking about relationships. It's always coming down to the heart, right? If your treasure is here and now on earth, it's temporary. That's also where your heart is. If your treasure is in heaven, you're investing in things that don't pass away, things that are eternal. Okay, this is where we find our first point. We need to give intentionally. How do I give intentionally? How do we give of our wealth intentionally? Well, you invest in kingdom work, things that bring out the salvation of sinners in the world. You use your money to, quote, purchase friends for eternity. That's what you do with your money in the here and now, with your wealth, so that you can be welcomed when you get into heaven. You invest in those who preach the gospel. You invest in those who teach people how to preach the gospel. You invest in missionaries. You invest in people who send out missionaries. You invest in every gospel enterprise that multiplies the teachers and the preachers and the evangelists of the gospel to spread the word of truth around the world. And by doing this, you're essentially you're paying for your friends' souls here. And um, I won't get ahead of myself, but... It's not the amount of money that you give. It's the intention behind it. It's, it's what's in the heart, okay? Maybe you don't have money to give, but I guarantee you, you have something. You have time. You have talents. God's gifted you with some sort of talents. You have to give of these things intentionally. So we know we need to be even more shrewd than the people of the world in securing our spots in heaven, in meaning we just have to be aggressive in our approach to sharing the gospel and making sure all of our friends know about it. Let's see what else Jesus has to teach us about wealth. So now we're looking at verses 10 through 12. Jesus now gives us some takeaways. So we have the story of the parable. Now we have some of the kind of the takeaway points. He's being very direct in 10 through 12. There's no hidden meaning here. Earlier, kind of hidden meetings. We're working through it. Verse 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. Pretty straightforward on that one. How you handle money determines how much God can bless you in your life. Once you understand that there is a direct connection between your money management and God's blessings, you'll get motivated to get your, money, your finances in order so that God will bless you with eternal rewards. Now, this is the point I need you to hear. Don't get this twisted. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, period. So I don't, I don't, don't get lost on my last point. We're spending money to, to share the gospel. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot pay your way into heaven. It's through Jesus, right? But Jesus knows that our hearts and our pocketbooks, they're really, they're really connected, right? 
So the amount you possess is not the issue. The amount you give is not the issue. It's a character. It's a commitment issue. What happens is as you demonstrate unfaithfulness in the use of your worldly wealth, you forfeit spiritual and eternal blessings both now and in the future. There's another little sting in verse 11 through 12. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You see, true riches, they go beyond worldly treasure. Jesus is talking about eternal blessings. He's also talking about eternal consequences. The use of worldly wealth in verse 11 corresponds to the use of that which is another's, not your own. Guess what? The wealth you have doesn't belong to you. Like the manager, he was wasteful with someone else's resources. It's all God's. You don't really have anything that belongs to you. As a believer, it's all a test of your devotion. It all belongs to him. So we die 10% of our money, right? But God's not entitled to 10%. He's, he's entitled to the whole block, right? And guess what? He also doesn't need our 10%. He can print as much money as he wants, right? He can make it rain. But he wants to see where your heart's at. If you're squandering what is his, he will not be able to entrust you with true riches. Now, some will say, well, I can be trusted with a lot. You know, if God would let me win the lottery, I'd give so much money to the church, right? You know, I have probably some people buy some lottery tickets. Oh, 10% off the top. You know, I give 20%. God, just let, me, just let me have this one, you know? So to that, I reply, no, you wouldn't. If you're not faithful with a little right now, you're not going to be faithful with a lot. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren, he's the author of Purpose Driven Life. It's one of the best-selling books of all time. Prior to writing this book, he and his wife had faithfully increased their, the, income of their, uh, the percentage of income they tithed. So their pastors, they're living out of a one-bedroom apartment, you know, eating Top Ramen and, and uh, making PB&J. They started off with 10%. And they said, honey, we've got to commit ourselves every year to just increasing this, no matter what, no matter what's going on in our finances. You know? And they made that commitment. So they started with that 10%, year after year, uh, they increased it. Uh, and this is long before their celebrity status. Now, they do what's called reverse tithing, right? They give up 90% of the income that comes from that book, and they, only, they live on the 10. And people often tell them, well, if I wrote a best-selling book, I'd do the same. You know, no, you wouldn't. You know, if you're not being faithful with what you have now, right? So he attributes his success to the level of trust that God had in him. See, people will say, well, why did, they choose you to, why did God choose you to write this book? He says, because he knows what I would do with the money. He knows that I could be trusted with it. So we're going to look at another supporting scripture, Luke 6, 38. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will also be be measured to you. If you are stingy with God, he's going to be stingy back. You got to know God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. There's one place in the Bible where uh, God actually asks us to test us. We're not supposed to test God, but there's just one spot. He says, all right, test me in this. Malachi 3.10. I'll read that one for you. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing 
that there will be not room enough to store it. Test me in this, right? Now, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. That's not something we ascribe to. You not put a dollar in the plate and expecting a 10% ROI, return on investment, right? Our eternal rewards far outweigh what God does for us in the here and now. But God does promise to bless us when we give him our hearts, right? Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. So what would you do? What do you say is the desire of your heart currently? Does the way you spend your money support your answer? If you lost your job today, what would you do? Would you trust God to provide? Provides for the birds in the air. How you manage what God's resources he's entrusted you to reveals the depths of how you trust him, right? These are tough questions, I know. But it kind of brings me to our second point. We need to give abundantly. Again, this is not just money. This is not a preacher saying, put it in the plate. This is, this is about your heart. It's about your time. It's about your talents. God's given you something in your life. Maybe you're talented at working on cars. Maybe you're really good with children. You say, Jeff, I don't got two nickels to rub together. But I can play guitar. Well, we got a worship team here, right? There's something you can do for God. So we started with give intentionally so that we can further the kingdom of God. We just covered give abundantly, whether it's your money, your time, your talents, in order to show God where your heart's at. This leads to the third point, give your heart. So now we're looking at verses 13 through 15. In this portion of the text, Jesus states, we can't be lovers of both money and God. We have to choose one. You can't have your cake and eat it too here. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, no hidden mystical meanings here. Sometimes the parables, they make us really think this is very straightforward. You don't need the Cracker Jack box to secret decoder ring to get to this one. You have to make a choice. Give your hearts to money as lovers of money and everything that the worldly treasures can afford you in the here and now, or give your hearts to God and receive eternal rewards. Now, you can be wealthy and a lover of money, but you can't be a lover of money and a lover of God. Jesus was clear on this. Mark 10, 25 uh, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is really funny to imagine, right? The eye of a needle, it's hard enough to get a thread through it, you know? And uh, this, is a, this is a verse that really convicted me because I had a pursuit of worldly treasure in my former life. And God just kept on giving me little verses like this, showing me I was on the wrong path. It's very easy to get tangled up in the immediate pleasures that money can afford us now. But Jesus wants to set your hearts towards him, right? Towards eternity, towards heaven. The Pharisees overheard this, and they were lovers of money, and they were sneering at Jesus. He exposes them, pointing out that it's their hearts are in the wrong place. You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Those are some pretty strong words Jesus uses. So think of it this way. In the court of law, you have a lawyer, right? And he represents a plaintiff. On the other side, there's a lawyer that represents the defendant. 
Both lawyers are doing their best to represent the interests of the clients. But what if a lawyer took on the role of representing both a plaintiff and a defendant, say in a murder trial? Could they fully devote themselves to both sides of this case? There would surely be a conflict of interest. You cannot devote yourselves fully to both sides of the case, right? You would surely, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to serve both sides fairly. You'd have to compromise on your standards. You'd have to compromise on your client's confidentiality, right? You cannot serve two masters. You'd have to pick one. But really, it's not about money, is it? It's not about wealth. Again, it's about our hearts. God wants your heart. He is a jealous God. And it's not jealousy in the way we think about boys and girls. It's jealous because he knows what is best for you. He created you. He knows what is best for you. He also knows your tendencies, your slip-ups, how easily you can stray. You can give your heart to the world or you can give it to God. Which one are you going to choose? Let's recap a little. Jesus gave the disciples a parable that seemed to have some backwards messages. But after we break it down, we see that Jesus just wants us really to do three things. Give intentionally, give abundantly, give our hearts to him. He wants us to use worldly wealth for the purpose of furthering the gospel, increasing the kingdom. If you don't have money to give, certainly you have time and talents. He wants us to give abundantly. Maybe God has entrusted you with a lot. Or maybe he's entrusted you with less than you would hope for. But either way, he's testing you to see where your heart's at. Give abundantly of your financial resources, of your time, of your talents, whatever you have. Remember, you cannot outgive God. The Bible tells us that. As with most lessons uh, Jesus teaches us, it comes down to a matter of the heart. You can't be a lover of money and God. You can't serve two masters. Give your heart to God. It's one decision you'll never forget. We're going to sing a little song before we pray. It's uh, 636 in the... Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We were so lost without him. We needed the advocate. We needed the wisdom that you give us in the Bible. Thank you for your parables. Thank you for the lessons. Lord, we have a hard time letting go of our pocketbook. But you're showing us here in this parable, there's something real spiritual about our tendencies with what you give us here and now and in our eternal rewards, Lord. Help us to set our sights on heaven. Help us to give intentionally. Help us to give our time and our money and our resources to things like the church that are going to further the gospel, things that are sharing the gospel around the world so that we can win friends and influence others. Not for our own gain, Lord, but for your gain. Lord, help us to give abundantly. You promised to bless us, overflowing blessings, if we just give you abundantly. And again, Lord, it's not the amount, it's the heart, it's the condition behind our giving, Lord. Help us to give freely. Lord, we want to surrender all. We want to surrender our hearts, Lord. And if there's someone here that hasn't fully surrendered, pray that today's that day where they can just let go of that worldly stuff, all that stuff that gets in the way, that can cross that line of faith today, Lord. Maybe it's a recommitment. Maybe, maybe it's a time to say, you know what, Lord, I know these things. I know these things, Lord, but I've, I've wandered. 
I've let, I've let the world just kind of tangle me up in things that are so temporary, things that are fleeting. Lord, you are not temporary. You are the creator of the universe. We want to spend eternity with you, Lord. Give us the courage to just give you our all. Give us the wisdom that we need to do to give you our all, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.